Hi there, and welcome to Naturally Recovering Autism, and I want to thank you for being here and being a proactive parent, and I want to wish you a happy new year. Uh, it's a new year, and it's a time for starting new and new new thoughts, new beliefs, new ways to do things, and uh, I want to support you on this journey because I'm here to tell you that your kids can get better. We don't ever know exactly the level of recovery, but we know that your your child can feel better because they have stomach aches, they have headaches. They can sleep better. They can focus better in a classroom. You know, they can stay calm and not have these tantrums and mood outbursts. And I, I like to tell people that, you know, your your child is not an angry person. It's that they are, uh, they are loaded with toxins and have inflammation that is affecting their brain. And, um, and then this is what's happening. So uh, I've also, as you know, I was told to drug my own son and try behavioral ther- therapies and good luck. That would be nothing else we could do for him. But knowing my background as a craniosacral therapist and studying the brain, I knew he could get better. And that's why you're here. I'm, I'm, I believe that you believe that your child can get better and, and they can. And I've created a, a free online workshop to walk, through, walk you through the four stages to help you understand what needs to happen. And the first is healing the gut. The second is natural heavy metal detoxification. The third is clearing the co-infections like mold, lime, and strep that are mimicking symptoms of autism. And we need to clear those. It's not just the gut and diet. A lot of people don't know about that third stage. And then the fourth is in brain support and repair once you've done a lot of the work uh, to help your kid to even get the better optimum, the optimum results. And that is available to you right now at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. And feel free to share that link with other people you know who might be interested in it as well. And as of 2020, I am so happy to say that we have a nonprofit 501c3 that we are taking donations for. Uh, So if you want to help support things to Uh, help reach autism and the resources such as this radio show and other things, there is a donate um, button on my website. You'll find it at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash donate. If you're interested in doing that, Uh, it is appreciated and it is a charitable uh, tax donation. And today I want to support you to start the new year with something called resilience, which we need as parents, we need as parents in general, but we really need as parents of children with autism because parenting a child with autism has more challenges than even the average child. And we all know that the lack of sleep that we have or worrying about our kids and pressure from the school we get and the staff and the tantrums and all the anger outbursts and the health issues we're dealing with, it's very, very challenging. And I I talk to parents daily who are just struggling. And I, I really, again, want to support you on this journey. And And I want to support you as the parent because you're doing so much for your child. It's so important for you to know that you have support as well and what you can do for yourself. And today we're going to be talking about resilience in the face of challenges and resilience in parenting. And that's the ability to react more gracefully and decisively to situations that come up. 
like like uh, those things that we're just uncertain about and the fears that we might have also in the future can can kind of take a lot of our energy away as well. So today I will be interviewing Dr. Madeline Blair, who is an expert in resilience training, and we're going to offer you some tools and daily practices for both you as a parent and for your children to use, uh, your children who have autism, that will allow them to have more of a basically a peaceful way of life is the goal. So a little bit of background on uh, Dr. Blair. Madeline Blair has a PhD in sociology with concentration in organizational psychology, a discipline that applies psychological theory and principles to workplaces, business decisions, and well-being. She has run her own business for the last 30 years, teaches at Columbia University, and blogs on psychology today. Dr. Blair has written five books, and the most recent one, Unlocked, Discover How to Embrace the Unexpected, offers tips on how to have more confidence in tough circumstances and be more innovative. She colorfully relates the real-life stories of people who found power and resilience and overcame challenges. And perhaps the most, what she's most known for is recognizing uh, her, her recognition for the, her focus on resilience itself. So, Dr. Blair, thank you for being here so much. I appreciate you taking your, your time and your expertise to, to share with us today. Karen, it is an honor to be invited to this conversation, and I really look forward to it. I do, too. There are so many parents that, that need these these tools that you have to share. And I know, you know, you can maybe give a little bit of background on your story because you had uh, some challenges with, with a child of your own. Do you mind sharing that? And then we'll kind of we can go into a little bit more about, I mean, how you got into this, basically, why you're such an expert on it. Oh, I'd be happy to, Karen. Uh, the <clears throat> the occasion began with an adult child uh, in her 20s. You figure that once your your daughter is married, you don't have to worry about about the details of life. Uh, she's going to take care of it, or her husband's going to take care of it. And then I got a phone call and said, uh, "Mom, I have a brain tumor." Well, excuse me. For me. That moment was one of total blackness. Every light in the world went out in my mind. Uh, how do you deal with that? And you know, it doesn't matter that she's an adult. She's still my child. Well, the diagnosis was quite severe. It would have been fatal had they not developed actually only a few years before ways in which they could deal with it. Um, she went through her operation. And then, of course, there was the whole long uh, recovery time where she, she lost the facial motor nerve on the right side of her face, and she had to learn how to speak again, uh, how to function in that. And she had subsequent operations to aid in keeping her face still uh, looking relatively normal. Uh, but that whole experience was devastating initially, and then I began to realize all the things that my mother had taught me about being resilient and what you what that means in a day-to-day -day aspect. Uh, she herself lived with uh, a face that was uh, abnormal because of an accident when she was five years old. So she knew exactly what my daughter was going through, far better even than I knew, and I thought about what did she do. Uh, and I, I think at this point I want to just sort of step outside of the story and tell you 
how I see resilience. Because I like the words gracefully and decisively. That's nice. But I prefer the words of Viktor Frankl. He said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies our power to choose our response. To me, resilience lies right within that space. Resilience is right there, making that decision. Viktor Frankl is pretty powerful. I, I did read that book where he was keeping uh, the others in a concentration camp um, motivated to to continue to live. And um, and I, I agree with that. We have our own power to choose our responses, and we don't have to let our environment dictate what is happening to us. So. Um, I'm excited to, to dive into this further. We need to take a, a short break right here. So you're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism, and I'm your host, Karen Thomas. Stay with us. We will be right back. Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. Empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom. Hi there and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and today we're talking about resilience in the face of challenges and resilience for parenting and especially parenting a child with autism. And we have Dr. Madeline Blair here with us today, who is an expert on this. She's written several books. She uh, is also a professor at uh, Columbia University and has and writes for Psychology Today. In case you haven't, you're late in joining us. I'll give you a little background there. And um, and before the break, Dr. Blair, you were talking about your own experience. Your your daughter, you had a challenge yourself with your own daughter, um, uh, finding out that she had a brain tumor at one point in your life, and and you were going into to um, some of the things that you were saying that your mother taught you and how you, you sort of segued your life into what now you are doing with us and what you've been teaching even to large corporations now w- about resilience in the face of challenges. So what was it that your mother taught you? We, we, we were starting to get into that a little bit before the break, but, um, but could you complete that? I'd love to, to know more. The thing that she taught me, and it was, uh, you know, you don't recognize it when you're a, a young child, but and in fact, you don't even recognize it as a teenager or even as a young adult, but then finally it hits you. What she did was, given the fact that her own face was, uh, was messed up, I'll call it, <laughs> she decided that no matter what she was doing, she was going to be happy. It didn't matter if she was walking into a group of strangers, whether she was scrubbing the floor, whether she was congratulating one of her children for graduating high school, it didn't matter what she was doing. 
she was going to be happy. And I watched that for many, many years uh, through her entire, well, my entire life up until her death. And I saw what the effect of that was. She made a decision, just as I said about where I see resilience happening. It's where you make that decision. Okay, life isn't easy, but I'm going to decide to do X. That inspired me as I looked at some of my early research. And at that particular research was on how adults learn. Now, I don't mean the theoretical stuff. I mean the practical day-to-day stuff. How do people cope with the massive amounts of data that we have to deal with today? Uh, that, by the way, ended up in a book called Writing the Current, which is all about how you do that. But inside that research, I discovered a subset of people that were amazingly resilient. And they had three characteristics. One of them was that they knew who they were. The second was that they had in-depth knowledge in some area that gave them a frame of reference as they pursued the world. And the third, uh, and it always makes me laugh when I think about it, they were insatiably curious. And when I looked at those three things and I thought about my mother and my situation with my daughter, I said, wait a minute, those three things anyone can work on to build their own resilience. Now, psychologists will tell you, you can build your own resilience. The question is how? Well, I looked at those three things and what my mother had done, and I said, I know how to do this. And that was how the book was born. And I began to develop the practices that that I recommend. And so what you do uh, is you're teaching people to know who they are, have in-depth knowledge in in something, because everybody has in-depth knowledge in something. Everybody is an expert at something, and they may not even think that they are, but they truly are. And then being Mm -hmm. insatiably curious. And also I like deciding to be happy because it really is a decision. And, um, and, and I was uh, just listening to this uh, other book. I'm really into this, this type of thing and self growth and, and, uh, and this, this man with James Clear, he was talking about how um, we really need to say, I am, and I have, as though we, we already have it and, and believe it not that, you know, I will or I want, but I am or I have and how important that is when we're, you know, affirming something for ourselves, because honestly, the subconscious and the conscious mind don't, they they don't decipher from each other. When you start saying something over and over, (laughs) the subconscious starts to believe it because there's no distinction there for it. So, um, so, okay, so let me have you go ahead and go on. so, you know, what, 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 how can people do this? I mean, that's really where we need to go with these things. So how can they implement? Okay. And I love your comment about the brain. You're absolutely right. It doesn't distinguish reality from what it's thinking. It's all the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. why you have to keep your thoughts uh, on the, on things that you want. Uh, what I did, what I put together were five practices. And those practices, they may not sound like they affect those three things, but let me get through them and then we'll come back and I'll show you how they come together. The first is that I recommend people take five minutes of silence in the day. Five minutes. Uh, When I tell this to business people, they go, oh, I can't do that. And I say, yes, you can. You close your office door, you set your alarm on your iPhone to five minutes and you sit there quietly because what you want is to give your mind time to reflect on what it has seen and observed. Not that you're going to think about resolution. You're just going to sit in that silence. 
it's amazing what comes out of your what what's called your default network in your brain when your executive function quiets down. So it's five minutes of silence. The second, and this one I'll probably spend a little bit more time on, but we'll get to the other three eventually. The second one is that you write a personal story every day. And you're probably thinking, why do I have to write a personal story? Why do I have to write it down? Two reasons. One, a personal story is like writing, uh, it's like looking in the mirror because your stories really are a mirror of who you are. It's what you saw and felt at a particular moment in time. And I ask people to write them because what you want to have are all of your stories lined up. That's not to share it with anybody else. It's that you see the various stories across your life. I mean, it doesn't matter whether the story is from five minutes ago or from when you were five. You want to have that continuum of story because within that, you discover who you are. It's a remarkable, simple way in which you can see enormous depth of who you are. And that gets at that very first characteristic of those people who are so resilient. They knew who they are and they know who they are. Uh, I, I gave you the example of, of uh, my daughter's uh, operation. Uh, it, was, it was amazing for me to write that and see what I saw about myself as well as about herself in that story. And obviously what I learned about my mother and her influence on me. And all of those pieces of that story began to inform me as to who I am. So that's, that's the second um, practice, practice that I talk about. You know what, uh, Dr. Blair, I, story I don't want to... Yeah, and I, I think this is really valuable, and it, it, we need to take a short break right here. So we've gone through the first two. I'd rather not have to break them up so much. So let's go ahead and take our break, and when we come back from the break, we will continue with these these um, these five pieces that I think are so valuable, and I appreciate you sharing them with us. And uh, so, so please stay with us. We're going to take a short break, and we will be right back. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and today we are talking about resilience in the power in the face of challenges and resilience that is needed with parenting especially parenting a child with autism and we're going to give not only you as a parent some tools to work with for yourself in your life but we're going to actually talk about how you can implement and, and assist your, your child with autism with utilizing these tools as well today so thank you for being here we're talking with Dr. Madeline Blair and um, if I haven't mentioned it yet I have created show notes and I will add to those uh, at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 68, just the number 68. And uh, before the break, we were just starting to get into the, the five pieces of the phenomenal four plus one that actually build resilience. And the first was taking five minutes of silence per day for yourself. I think this is really important too. Um, five minutes, anybody can squeeze that into their schedule, right? You have to just make sure that you know you're important enough to do that and then it matters to do it. Also, number two is write a personal story every day, like a mirror of who you are to help you discover your, yourself more in depth and understand, really understanding your own importance. And then um, we, we took our break there. And so, Dr. Blair, would you um, start with, uh, go with number three now? What was number three? Absol Absolutely. The third practice is what I call social. We all need to have social support in our lives. 
uh, and when I looked back, for example, at my mother's life, she had social support from the very beginning. Uh, she was five years old when she had her accident, but she was always surrounded by a loving family that supported her. Uh, and they supported her all through her life. And uh, I, have, I have benefited from that myself and have created myself a, a, a set of social support. Uh, you want to be doing that because that's where you, you need that support when things get difficult or not. Uh, the, the, fourth, um, the fourth practice is one I call seeking. And it's all about peaking and nurturing your curiosity. Because remember I said that people who were very resilient had in-depth knowledge and that they were insatiably curious. Now, those two things really go together. If you keep asking questions of the world, if you pursue things that you're curious about, you obviously increase your knowledge. Uh, so that fourth one is called seeking. The last one, and, and by the way, the practice there is that every day you ask a question. And people always say, well, it has to be a question that you answer. And I say, no, it can be any question. It can be a tough question. It can be a simple question. The point is you, you're honing and nurturing that curiosity. The last and the fifth and last practice is called selection. Every day you decide the most important thing that you're going to do for the day, and then you do it. Now, I will tell you, as a business person, I have long lists of things to do. Uh, many of us are, are those kinds of people, and we have long lists. I got to the point where my lists were overwhelming me. When I started doing my own practice, I said, Madeline, you do it, so you better, better follow your own advice. Deciding the most important thing suddenly reduced that list to about three items. My life has, it has changed radically. Uh, I get much more done uh, against even that old long list because I've gone back and looked at that old list and went, wow, all those things got done because they were succeed to, to, to really doing something more major. So those are the five practices. Now, I've also interviewed both a, a mother of someone who has autism, and we talked about these practices, and I interviewed an adult uh, woman of who is autistic. And so I can talk about both how they reacted to these five and the effect of those. So let's begin with the, uh, the woman who was autistic herself. She had, uh, first of all, she was brilliant, as many autistic people are. And so she could articulate so well what each of these practices meant to her. And she started with silence. She said, for those who can, and she recognized there are autistic people who would find it very hard to sit in silence. She said the silence for her when she was able to do it gave her reflection time to resolve things. And I thought that was brilliant for someone who is autistic. And by the way, I don't have a great deal of, of knowledge about autism, although I have a deep heartfelt uh, commitment to those who who uh, experience that because it's very real. Stories, she said, the interesting thing for her was that she focused on positive stories. Now, I, I don't give advice about that, but she said, no, no, I needed to focus on positive stories because 
I always had the impression that I was different. But when I looked at my positive stories, I could see the goodness in me and that I was just as human as anyone else. That brought tears to my eyes when she said that. On the social side, she said, as she pushed herself and made herself connect with people, she said the more exposure that she had with different kinds of people allowed her to develop empathy for them, including empathy for herself. On the seeking side, I had to laugh at that one. She said, I grew up in a family with PhDs, she said, and that was just a given. So that she didn't have to develop. <laughs> and I had to chuckle and was very appreciative of that. On the selection side, this, she said, was something she really had to work on. Um, she apparently had difficulty, I shouldn't say difficulty, it took her longer for her executive function to develop. So now um, she, has, she has really worked on it. And she, and by doing, taking selection, making selections, she's actually enhanced that capacity. Wow. It doesn't mean that, that she, that, go ahead. It doesn't mean that she what? That, that, uh, that she doesn't focus, that she can focus all the time, but she works on still focusing and narrowing things. So that, right. that she can move forward. Well, I think it's wonderful that really she was able to see her, her own positive stories and then also see her brilliance and her, her positive side because they, you know, these kids go to school and sometimes they're even bullied. They're seen as different. And then they start thinking, I know yeah. my own son for a while, you know, he thought he was weird and people, you know, and, and I, you know, no, you're not, you're just, you're, you know, everybody's different, not just you are different everybody's different. And we don't want the whole world to be the same because that would be a really boring world. And so it's, yeah. you know, being able <laughs> to understand your, your, uh, your brilliance and see that in yourself is very important and understand that everybody is special. We need to take a short break right here. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and please stay with us. We will be right back. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and today we're talking about resilience in the face of challenge and resilience that's needed by parents, especially parents of children with autism, and we're giving you some tools. We have Dr. Madeline Blair here with us, who is a an expert on resilience, and uh, and uh, Dr. Blair, before the uh the break, you were giving some really great examples of uh, an example of a person with autism that you worked with who was able to see, you know, their positive side. And I think that that alone helps us get empowered and keep our strength and understand that, you know, again, we're all special and we all have something to give and that, you know, you know, it's not that, you know, like my own son, you know, here I say sometimes he said, you know, people think I'm weird back then, you know, and I said, no, we're all just different and, and everybody's different. We don't want to be in a boring world. We want to be where where people have different, but we want to help people give their gifts as well and be fully who they are and embrace that. And I think that's really, really important. And you also mentioned that you have worked with a parent of a child with autism as well. And so uh, we have a lot of parents listening in right now. So 
uh, can you, I'd love to hear that, your story there and, and any tools that this parent was able to utilize, again, or all the tools that we've talked about so far. But yeah, please, um, can you share, uh, share about working with the parent of a child with autism? Oh, thank you, Karen. Uh, the, the very first thing that uh, she talked about uh, was, had to do with silence. She said one of the most difficult things was learning to be silent, to not say anything, even when you want to give guidance to your child. Uh, you had to, she said, I had to just follow the child and let them come to their own conclusions. Now, the other thing that I thought was very interesting was that in those moments, she said, I became very observant. I was able to see, you know, where her, the talents were, where the interests were, that then she could really build upon those. Uh, so uh, silence for her was enormously powerful. Um, she did not talk about story, but she moved immediately to the social aspect and how learning, even for herself, that social networks were incredibly important to making sure that she was able to do what she needed to do. Uh, she ended up bringing her daughter to uh, all kinds of places that would be unexpected um, just to give her daughter the opportunity to meet lots and lots of people in a setting where the daughter was safe because the daughter did not have to perform. She was just attending with mother. Um, but it taught her daughter how and why networking could help her uh, and, and keep it keep it capable for her. Um, <laughs> but then she, she talked about, um, about the speaking practice and she said, oh my goodness, yes. They went to many, many um, as psychologists to get her daughter tested because they couldn't understand what was what was happening. And at the time, it, it wasn't clear that that autism is a spectrum. And so they got some very different kinds of of ideas um, that really were not helpful. But she persisted. She really persisted herself uh, because she wanted to get the best answers that she could. And, and do the best that she could for her daughter. So certainly she has never stopped seeking for op, uh, you know, um, options. Uh, and then, uh, the, the, uh, the last one was selection. And she, she said, yes, you have to make a lot of decisions, especially about school. And she told this marvelous story about going to school after school after school, one of which was right down the street she could have walked her daughter there, no impact on the household. And it was a Montessori school, so she thought this is going to be wonderful. And she happened to observe that the teacher said something to one of the children that just didn't feel right to her. Uh, the child asked a question, and the teacher's response was, we've already talked about that. And she thought, oh, my goodness, if I put my daughter in this setting, this is not going to work. So she really really collected insights and observations across all these schools. She ended up sending her daughter to a school that was across town, very difficult for her to get to, uh, but she decided that was the sacrifice she had to make. So, again, to her, that was the most important thing, 
was to get her daughter to the right school. Uh, so here was an example of someone who, who some of the some of the practices she did instinctively, and some of the practices that she built on the the things that I was talking about, uh, and and in the end uh, feels uh, that she's done the best that she can for her daughter. Let me just pause there, Karen, in case there's a question. Uh, no, I'm just in listening, enjoying listening to this. I think it's it's so true. I mean, all of us as parents of children with autism, including myself, have to deal with the, the school situation and it not always being the most supportive environment and trying to find the best place for your child to learn and grow in with support from from you know the staff and hopefully some of the other students so um, I think you know that's really valuable that you you shared that so go ahead uh, continue I just like to hear what else you have to say about this this experience with this parent okay well let's see if I you know, I'm just going through my notes because I want I sort of organize things a bit for our, our discussion today um, I think I've told you the principal things. Uh, and I, this, no, I think I will share this. She, she said, we also decided as a couple, her husband and her, decided that they would spend whatever was necessary because they only had the one daughter. Uh, and it meant enormous sacrifice, personal sacrifices for them. But again, it was that selection of the most important thing. She wanted the best for her daughter. Uh, and uh, as I said, she ended up having to drive her daughter across town uh, back and forth twice a day and the expense of, of a private school, but that that was a seminal exposure for her daughter. Yeah, and that's another one we've all worked with is putting out the, the necessary expense. And I, I, too, live that one, but it was worth every penny, and I will still say that to this day. Um, we're going to take a short break right here. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Please stay with us. Hey there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and I want to thank you for being here with us today. Uh, we're giving you some hopefully helpful tools on resilience, and we have Dr. Madeline Blair, who's an expert in this field with us today, and we've talked about some really great ways of, of um, the, the five pieces that build resilience and some examples of a child with autism and how they use them and how a parent with a child with autism has used them. And I'm wondering, too, Dr. Blair, if you can share something where you know, we can utilize these practices ahead of time and, and when we have a moment, but sometimes we get caught up in, in the moment. We're, you know, overwhelmed, everything's coming out, and we, we're just flooded with stress or, you know, our child, whether a child's tantruming or they're sick or the school's having problems or, you know, just all of the things that we deal with, our child can't sleep. Um, what's a good tool? Is there something you could you could give that people could grasp in the moment when they're feeling that overwhelm? Uh, great question. Because, you know, the practices that I have laid out in the book and I've talked about today, those are things that you do all the time. It's sort of like earning your black belt in, in martial arts. You do the practice, 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 and you get the black belt, and you still do practice, practice, practice. Uh, because you're building uh, the human element. But there are times when, wham, you haven't done your practice or maybe you haven't started because you just heard it today. I, give, I suggest two things in those moments. One, you're going to laugh. One is to breathe. Always remember to breathe. 
uh, it, it does a couple of things. One, it oxygenates your body, but the second thing is it relaxes you because you, your mind suddenly shifts to another attention. But the other thing that I think people could do, and you could do this in the moment, is pause in your mind and think of a time when you were successful at coping in those moments. What did you do? What was it like? How long did it last? How did you feel when it was over and that you were successful? And remind yourself that you have the capacity to get through that difficult moment. I think sometimes we forget our strengths. We forget what we've done. And it's only when you look at those things and look back and look at those and you say, wait a minute, I did that. Okay, it's hard right now, but I did it before. I can do it again. That's what I would recommend in terms of in the moment. And that's a that is a great example uh, because um, when again when when we're trying to retrain our mind and be, create a habit, um, the practice is important where then eventually it becomes an actual habit and we don't have to think about mm-hmm. it as much. But when we're caught up in the moment, we can think about a time back when, and our mind works in pictures. And as parents of children with autism, we're very aware of this, they're very visual. But in, in mind, think of a time when when things were good. Like you said, like when you were being successful and um, mm-hmm. you felt happy and it it pulls you out of the moment of where you're in and puts you into another space. And if you picture that literally in your mind, uh, that image, then that, that can really switch your mind over into a completely different realm than it's in. I love that addition of the word picture. You are absolutely right, Karen. We are, we do think visually. uh, And it's, it's very powerful because you can quickly shift that image in your mind, especially if you have one that you, you have, thought about before but even not right and it might be a good idea ahead of time to think about an image that you know think in your mind think just Mm -hmm. take time to think about what is something I feel really good about where I felt really successful in that moment in my life and then you can be able to pull upon that quickly when you need to Mm -hmm. Uh, you know I don't know if you give homework on these shows but I would say to anybody who's listening after the show sit down and, and write that up and for yourself and so that you have a, a, an image, an idea in your mind. But, you know, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about, Karen, uh, and that is um, what I call respect. Now, I've, I work with all kinds of people. I don't, I don't work specifically with, with a particular group, although I tend to work more with business people, but that's, that's just uh, accidental. But what I have discovered, and I know that I have encountered many uh, autistic people. Uh, I just know I have. Uh, but but I'm just thinking about the interaction that I've had with them. And it, it goes way back to some research I did, gosh, 30 years ago on the differences on the basis of gender. And I discovered that the thing that was the most important to people was that they felt that the other person had heard them, had recognized them, had acknowledged them. It's a a sign of respect. And when I learned that 30 years ago, I decided and made a decision for myself, I am going to treat people with respect. It doesn't matter what they're doing, what they look like. It's that they are human beings, and therefore they're worthy of respect. And I think that encountering 
autistic people, and I know that I have, it has never uh, disturbed the relationship, and they have related to me well. And I, and, and frankly, I only discovered this in preparation for this discussion. I just thought about it and thought about it, and I said, you know, Madeline, I think that's one of the things that's made it easy for you and for them. Uh, I'm not magic, but I just know that that's a habit that I have developed, and it makes it possible to have communication. I'll, I'll never forget one time I was having a con conversation with a group of autistic people, and, and one person who was sitting next to me said, oh, my God, she actually asks intelligent questions. What she was really saying was she's speaking to us like normal human beings, what, what uh, some, some autistic people would call neurotypical. <laughs> And she was right. So that, well, that's people want to be treated, to yeah, like, you know, they don't want to be treated differently in, in some mm -hmm. odd way. They just want to be treated like anybody else. And, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, whether it's a child with autism or different races or people of different everything, it's just we don't need to, 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 to separate everybody out into groups. We just that's need right. to treat people like human beings with with, you know, minds and brilliant minds and uh, feelings. And, and, and I agree, keeping a, a positive mind. And if you find yourself complimenting other people during the day, even random people in public, mm -hmm. you know, thanking them for thanking somebody of service who's checking you out at a grocery store. I mean, it's just yes. the simple things that can make, you know, that you're doing to show kindness toward others, but it also brings you know, more kindness toward you because we, we also yes, receive does. and get back what we put out there. And that's really important. Yes. And it keeps you in that mindset, that, that frame of mind all the time. If you just start being that person, then life can seem mm -hmm. more uplifting as well. And people around you tend to be nicer just in general, because you're drawing more of that positive energy to you. We need to take a short break right here. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Please stay with us. We will be right Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. Empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom who's done it. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and again, I want to thank you so much for being here today, being that proactive parent that's getting the resources for your child. And I really hope today's episode on resilience has been helpful for you. I know it has been for me. Uh, I will create some show notes for you at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 68, just the number 68. And uh, we have Dr. Madeline Blair here with us today, who is an expert on resilience and teaches this to people all over the world and has a best-selling book called Unlocked. And Discovering How to Embrace the Unexpected, and it is a bestseller in four countries. 
So uh, this is a, a very, very popular book helping a lot of people. Um, and I'll, we'll link to it on the show notes as well. Uh, and then also, Dr. Blair, do you have, um, you have some workshops that you're developing where individuals can either go online or come in person to learn more about this from you? So uh, I know that that's sort of in the making. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about that? We just have a couple minutes left, but if you could share that with us. Great. Uh, yes, I am. Uh, they're actually being designed right now. There's going to be uh, one that will be online, and then we're going to be designing face-to-face ones where you can come in every month if you want to. Uh, so those are both coming, and I'm, I'm guessing they're going to be sometime in first quarter of this year. If we don't do first quarter, I'll be very upset. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, we're and in I, that first quarter here. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I wanted to say one more thing, which which – as we were talking, I realized I've never gotten out there. Uh, one of the conclusions of the book is, or the purpose of the book is, so that you can be comfortable in discomfortable, uncomfortable situations. Uh, and all the things that I've tried to talk about here um, and all the challenges that I see with autism, uh, I think finding a little comfort in those uncomfortable moments uh, would be a real boon. So I want to thank you, Karen, for the opportunity and the time with your audience. Oh, I so appreciate you being here today, Dr. Blair. I think this is really, really valuable. And um, I really, you know, I I teach a lot about uh, parents and helping them on the journey to work with the biology of the body because it has to be worked with to to recover the brain and get the toxins and inflammation out and all of that. Mm -hmm. But I also know how important it is to support the parent. And that really is what my membership program is about, not just, you know, just the roadmap that I do help them with, because they have to have these tools to, to help their child get their health get better. But the support that is involved is so crucial. And ha- having parents have tools to know, you know, what to do for themselves is, is absolutely key. Because if we don't take care of ourselves, especially as a caregiver, mm-hmm. if we don't take care of ourselves, we're not going to be around in the future. Or we're not going to be as great a value as we can be to our kids, our family, to anybody, even ourselves, because we're so stressed and overwhelmed and we don't want to live our lives in that state. We all deserve to live in joy and feeling we belong and feeling like there is support out there for us. And, And the isolation factor is also huge for a parent of child with autism and for people with autism. So these tools are so, so valuable. Again, I I thank you so much for being here with us today. Do you have any last things that you'd like to say before we wrap up? Uh, just that um, the idea of helping these people, these individuals who do feel different uh, to be a part of the human community so that they can flourish is so important and that you yourself constantly remember to take care of yourself, just as you said, Karen because you have to be there or or it's good for you to be there for them. Thank you. And and parents are often, you know, concerned if something happens to me, who will take care of my child. So take care of yourself and know that you're important Mm -hmm. enough to take care of yourself. You can take five minutes a day to run, you know, to, to have silence. And we're teaching our kids to live independent lives as well. And they need to see us taking care of ourselves. So they know that that's something that we do. We take care of ourselves. And uh, we're out of time today. But again, thank you, Dr. Blair, for being here with us. The show notes will be for you at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 68 with Dr. 
drmadelineblair.com, her website as well, so you can find Dr. Blair. And uh, thank you for being here with us. Appreciate it. And we will see you next time.